Hey guys, it is Friday, December 14th, 2018, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Isaac, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Hey guys, the two-episode format seems to be kind of working, so today it's going to be a more regular show. We'll talk a little bit about the breaking news that just dropped earlier this afternoon about the Hyundai Kona EV pricing and what that potentially means for an affordable EV in your driveway very soon. Uh, in the culture segment, I want to talk a little bit about pickup trucks and pickup truck pricing. Uh, good Lord, is it a crazy thing out there with pickup truck pricing these days. I was looking at some trucks last night, and it is a ramp, to say the least, that you go up very... Uh, it's a pretty steep grade when you get to certain things that people might want in their new cars uh, these days. And then last up, a car that's on my mind, it's the first, well, at least in the United States, the first generation Subaru WRX, the Bug Eye WRX. We'll talk a little bit about that car at the end of the show. Um, if you dig this show, you want to listen to previous episodes, uh, you can do so here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. And you can follow along on the various podcasting platforms where these episodes are all available for free to download, to stream, whatever works best for you. Uh, Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, so many more. So if you dig the show, uh, please subscribe, give it a rating, share it with your friends and family. I really Really appreciate it. So, after the bump, we'll talk about some news. So, as promised, we've got news fresh out of Korea talking about the new Hyundai Kona EV. Uh, The Kona EV was unveiled earlier this year in Europe, uh, where they said that the car comes with a 64 kilowatt hour lithium-ion battery, has a 201 horsepower electric motor. Uh, The visual changes to the vehicle are just here and there a little bit different compared to the gasoline counterpart. You're really not losing any utility space in the car overall as it was adapted for use from the beginning uh, to have an EV model in mind. Uh, The Kona EV, given its higher standard features list, a little bit better quality, Definitely some supreme engineering over the standard car. Uh, The press was thinking that prices would start somewhere around $40,000, give or take a little bit, uh, to to kick things out the door. Um, You know, we just assumed that Kia wouldn't want to lose too much money on these cars. Uh, But it turns out we were all wrong. Uh, Kia is going to be selling this 64 kilowatt hour model, the long range model, starting at $36,000 or 36450 to start, excuse me. Um, that model is going to be before destination, before the federal tax credit. So once you add that and take out the tax credit, you're looking at about $30,000 to start on a long-range EV uh, for many Americans here in the U.S. Now, there's also states to consider where you get another tax credit on top of that, California in particular has a $2,500 tax credit there. Uh, some other cities in the country also offer tax credits for EV purchases. I believe San Francisco and Los Angeles are on that. So in the end, some people might be able to buy this crossover for as little as $26,000 or maybe a little bit less. And compared to other Konas that would run about $26,000, you're still going to have better standard features and better overall fuel economy, and that's an air quotes there since it's 
EV electric power and not gasoline. Uh, but this is the kind of tipping point model that I've talked about before, where for many people, it might make a hell of a lot more sense to buy the electric model versus the standard gasoline model. Here in Michigan, that's still a little bit of a going concern, I think, for a lot of people. I know, at least in my condition specifically, I have about a 30-mile commute from my house in Grand Rapids out to where I work in Holland. Uh, that, on a 270-ish mile car, isn't a big drain. I could probably go a couple of days and not have too much range anxiety there. Um, and thankfully, when I work out in Holland, there are chargers, level 2 chargers, available to me that I can use uh, that are scattered throughout the city. Versus when I work in Grand Rapids uh, at another location, uh, there are not EV chargers close to where I work. And unfortunately, because I live in an apartment community, uh, there's not EV chargers here either. Um, so in, that, in my case specifically, uh, the tipping point has not yet been affected or has not made itself evident just because I don't have the charging capacity. But still, when you consider that to go... 270 miles in a gasoline Kona, and I'm making some rough guesstimates here on fuel economy, that's going to cost you about $30, give or take, uh, with gasoline being at $3 a gallon, versus here in Michigan, uh, where your average kilowatt hour charge from consumers energy is about 14 cents a kilowatt hour, uh, you're looking at, you know, $9 to top your car off from zero to 100% on the battery. And if it's three times less the price to do that, to run your car that distance every single time, uh, you're really going to come out ahead. And when you really start thinking about so many different towns and cities across the country that offer free electric charging, uh, you might be getting away super clean on the price there. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of other things to take into consideration for whether or not this kind of model is right for you. After all, uh, insurance prices are typically quite a bit more expensive on EVs. Um, you know, you look at something like uh, a low volume model like this Kona EV initially, it's going to be very pricey, I'm guessing, compared to the standard Kona. Yes, a lot of the body panels are shared with the regular car, um, but it's usually it's that battery that really amps up the cost of the vehicle uh, for uh, State Farm, whoever you might have for insurance to keep an eye on. Um, another thing to kind of take into consideration here is the high, uh, what do you want to call it, or the low residual value of the vehicle. It's going to lose a lot of its price, usually in that first two or three years that it's owned. EVs are notorious for this kind of problem, and whether or not you know, you're comfortable with that is entirely up to you. I think if you're buying it brand new, you want to keep it for a while, um, you know, you're willing to take that loss. I don't think it's a big issue. You know, if you're just pitter-pattering around town, you've got a commute of less than 40 miles a day, uh, this EV is going to save you thousands of dollars a year in gasoline. Um, you know, and think of how much time you're not going to be spending at the pump every other week uh, gassing up your car. Uh, that's, that's something that I think a lot of people kind of forget about. Um, but man, it's what a game changer, you know, at this price these cars are going to be. Now, the other thing to consider is that Kia has not announced pricing on the Nero. If I'm a betting man, the Nero might be a little bit more than the Kona EV, but it could also be the same exact price. Um, 
it's hard to say for sure. The Nero is a little bit longer, if memory serves correctly. It's got a little bit more space for rear occupants, but the uh, overall size of the vehicle is near enough the same. The other thing, too, to also keep in mind in this situation is that Kia and Hyundai have not announced pricing on the lower range models. Uh, they will be offering smaller capacity battery packs on these cars, probably somewhere in the 40-ish kilowatt hour range uh, with lower output electric motors. Um, if those were to start somewhere around $30,000 compared to the long range models, with federal, state, local incentives, you're looking at a Kona or a Nero that's in the low $20,000 range with those incentives. Uh, that, again, is a substantial deal when you consider how much more affordable these things are going to be to charge and drive and live with every day compared to their standard gasoline, or at least in the Nero's sense, the hybrid option that's currently available. That's getting a little weird. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, we're at that race to the bottom on EV stuff. So kind of in a side EV story, um, a lot of photos came out earlier this week of the Volkswagen uh, ID model, the first of their EV models that are going to be launching uh, sometime in 2019 or early 2020. Um, this new ID is the, I think it was the ID, not the ID Buzz, so not the bus. It, I forget what the full name was of the car. They're saying that the code name is Nero. More or Neo, excuse me, uh, that car is going to be, uh, well, it's basically a Golf. That's the best way to describe it. It looks like a Golf. It's about Golf-sized. It might be a little bit longer than a Golf, but that could also be the camouflage of the car, making its shape look a little weird. Um, but this also is promising to be a mid to low $30,000 vehicle before tax incentives that probably has a range that's well north of 200 miles. Uh, Volkswagen has spent a ton of money on battery and electric motor engineering. Uh, they build fantastic cars that are a lot of fun to drive. Overall reliability of their gasoline cars kind of remains to be seen in many cases, uh, but in general, you know, they're fantastic cars. So if Hyundai and Kia can do it at this low price, I see no reason why Volkswagen wouldn't do the same. Uh, whether or not uh, Honda or Toyota or GM or Ford or anybody else has a similarly affordable small car coming in the very near future. That kind of remains to be seen, but again, we're at the tipping point where things start to get more affordable for people who are interested. So if you ever are curious about it, definitely, you know, figure out how much money you're spending per month on your car for insurance, how much you're spending per month on gasoline, uh, try to figure out in your local area how much it would cost for you to uh, charge up a car on a daily basis. You might be surprised how much more money you can save owning an EV uh, versus that of a standard gasoline car. It could be really shocking. Uh, and for many of us across the country, you know, we're still waiting for that opportunity to get here. But for folks in California, Oregon, Washington, New York, Massachusetts, uh, the, the time is now to make the switch. So... What a very exciting time to be a fan of EV cars. So pickup truck pricing. It's a weird ball game that you kind of have to play where as much as prices look overinflated or a little too strange, uh, it might not always be the case. 
Uh, incentives are here on a lot of the large pickup trucks, especially from Ford and Ram, where their trucks have been on the market for a year or two, despite at least an all-new model from Ram and significant updates from Ford. Uh, GM is still rolling out the new uh, Sierra and Silverado. Uh, the news article came across my board today about the Chevys where Silverado sales are down 15% compared to this time last year uh, without a super clear explanation as to why. You know, it could be the lack of the incentives. It could be that people don't really care for this new Silverado. Uh, it's hard to say for sure why that is, but nevertheless a bit concerning uh, when the Silverado has traditionally been the second best-selling pickup truck in the United States and the Ram is quickly gaining ground on it. Uh, but the point, the point is, uh, it's strange that when you configure these trucks, these large trucks, you know, you're looking for a relatively fuel-efficient but powerful option, so I'm thinking the 2.7-liter turbo-powered uh, LT Silverado versus a Ram Bighorn with the 3.6-liter V6 or a smaller turbocharged V6 option in the F-150. You know, you're really staring down the barrel of somewhere between forty-seven dollars to $50,000 before incentives uh, for a truck that gets okay gas mileage, tows a pretty decent amount um, and has a lot of the niceties that you'd expect from most modern cars these days. You know, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, uh, maybe some satellite navigation, heated seats, things like that. Stuff that you should expect in a nice high-priced car like that these days. You go on down to the mid-level competitors. Uh, something like the new Ford Ranger. Uh, for similar equipment uh, that is relatively nicely done. Uh, maybe you don't get leather seats, maybe you got the cloth seats, uh, but they're still heated. Maybe you got the off-road package, but you don't have the crazy uh, tra long travel suspension, big tires, all that stuff. Uh, you're looking at it somewhere between probably about thirty-eight dollars and $44,000. And, whew, you know, whether or not those prices are fair, considering that the big trucks are a little bit more but then the incentives that come on them push them down into that thirty-eight dollars to $44,000 range, uh, which is right for you. I, you know, there's not really a good answer, but it's a weird game that they play in these situations because these medium-sized trucks are selling so fast that they can't make enough of them, and because of that, they don't have incentives on these trucks because they're protecting the value of them, so on and so forth versus the large trucks where they sell hundreds, thousands, millions of these a year, they have incentives out the wazoo, and yet they cost almost the same as the mid-sized truck. It's crazy. I, I, I don't know. It, it's always been a weird market. It will always be a weird market. It really comes down to what size vehicle you want for your day-to-day -day life. I know I couldn't fathom having a full-size F-150 to drive every day because I don't feel comfortable with a car that's that big. Um, that's just me. I would be more comfortable in a Ranger in that instance. Um, but where I kind of came to this thought process today was uh, because of the Jeep Gladiator configurator uh, being made available for the first time earlier today on Jeep.com. Now, the Jeep Gladiator still doesn't have pricing officially announced for it, uh, but the thing to remember is that in lieu of having a Ram 1500 uh, sibling, a smaller sibling being made available uh, through FCA, uh, the Gladiator is going to kind of take that place for the meantime. Um, the Gladiator is a very 
extremely capable off-road pickup truck. It's going to have a very high towing capacity. It sounds like it's going to have a pretty good load capacity. And in the end, it you know it's going to be one of the more capable trucks in its segment. Now, configured the way I had it with some special green paint, uh, hard plastic hard top roof, uh, some niceties in the interior like the upgraded infotainment system, so on and so forth. Uh, I really just guessing that's probably a low $40,000 truck. And I don't really know if I can stomach the idea of a $40,000 Jeep pickup truck. Now, that's not to say that it's an outrageous price because people pay ridiculous prices for the Jeeps already. And that's just the regular uh, Wrangler altogether. Uh, I, I can't believe the prices that people go for on those things these days. Uh, but this pickup truck, it's got wide appeal. You know, whether or not this is going to eat into sales of the Ram, I don't know. I think it's going to depend on what kind of Ram you're looking for, what kind of incentives are out there, blah, 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 blah. There's not really a point to this thing. Pricing's crazy on these cars. So if you ever have a chance, go look at some of these pickup truck configurators. You might be surprised how much some of these option groups cost compared to a regular standard uh, four-door sedan or a five-door hatchback. It's insane. Where were you in the fall of 2000 going into 2001 and 2002? Think about how old you were and what kind of cars you were into and remember the fact that we had the first WRX, at least in the United States, show up in the year 2000. Think about how back then a mid-upper $20,000 Japanese sports sedan could run with Porsche 911s, Chevy Corvettes, and BMW M3s. Think about how crazy of an idea that was at the time. Uh, similarly priced Camaro SSs and Ford Mustang GTs were getting outgunned by this little Japanese car uh, that no American brand had really heard of or cared of. Teenagers had been playing Gran Turismo for ages, driving this car, uh, really enjoying it. They demanded to get it here for quite some time, and it spurred an entire emergence of sport compact and hot hatch cars here in the U.S. Uh, going throughout the early aughts into where we are today. 20 years ago was a crazy time when it came to performance cars. Think about, for a moment, the fact that a truly fast car was going a little bit less than six seconds, zero to 60, was stopping from 60 to zero in the mid 150-ish feet range. Uh, they were lucky to pull nine tenths of a G or perhaps a little bit more than that on a skid pad. Nowadays, here in the late 20 teens, near enough 2020, you can get a Honda Accord Sport, a Toyota Camry XSE, uh, that can outrun a lot of these high-performance cars that came out back then. Uh, it is a crazy time. It is a crazy way how technology has made normal cars faster than a 2001 Subaru WRX. Uh, what's also really weird to think about with that car in particular is how cheap they are today. It is very easy to get a 227 horsepower sports sedan for less than four thousand dollars 
Now, granted, here in Michigan, they've probably been beat to shit by various teenage and early 20-something owners. Uh, they're probably a little rusty. I imagine it's got to get some work done overall on the vehicle. But, I don't know. That's a fast car. It's still a quick car. It still is a very capable car. And adding to it modern equipment for Subarus can dramatically improve the performance of the car overall. The the gimmick, I guess I would say, for Subarus altogether is that because so little has changed mechanically on these cars over the past 20 years, all of the different engines and transmissions and wheels and gearboxes and transfer cases and so on and so forth can be swapped back and forth not just within the Imprezas that continued to evolve based on more or less the same chassis, uh, they can be transferred to the Legacy and to the Forester and on over to all these other different variants of the same basic car. It's crazy. And the fact that you can buy this as a teenager for such a cheap price is insane. And that kind of leads me to another thing. I think we need to do a first Car for Teenagers episode to talk about why buying a WRX is not a good idea and why buying a Toyota Camry maybe is the better idea. There's a lot more to go along with that because I know I at one point was a very stupid teenager who wanted nothing more than a Subaru WX or a Lancer Evolution, uh, but I didn't really understand how stupid of an idea that was at 17 or 18 years old versus now in my 30s knowing that, wow, that would have been bad. That would have been bad news bears. So, yeah, Subaru WRX. Uh, maybe one more point about the car. Uh, I like the bug eye look. That's just me. Uh, we have three revisions of that first-generation Subaru WRX. Uh, I had the bug eyes, and then I had the more melted-together eyes, and then I had the really angry nose and eye look that happened later on. I'm still a fan of the first one. I think it was the best looking of all the WRXs. Uh, the new one is cool, but that first one, it just holds such a special place in my heart that it really can't be matched. So yeah, Subaru WRX. Well guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisenlake, and you can follow me on Twitter at YSSMAN. And you can subscribe to this show here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. Like I said at the top of the show, we make this podcast available for free on a wide variety of platforms all over the internet, including Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, and so much more. So if you enjoy it, make sure you subscribe, you like it, you give it a rating if they offer you the chance to do that and share it with your friends and family because that's how we get noticed. That's how we make the money. I got to pay for a new car that I don't own quite yet. So that's what we're doing there. Uh, in other things, you know, like I said in that previous segment, I think we need to do a new car or new-ish car. Uh, buyer's Guide for Teenagers. Pick what I think are the top three best cars to buy a new driver teenager that are kind of fun drive, a little more techy, you know, whatever, that kind of thing, and then offer a fourth model for flavor. Uh, that that could be an interesting episode, so maybe we'll do that. Uh, other stuff that we do, well, we have the side stories ones. We usually try to run those on Tuesdays or Wednesdays during the week, just short little things that are on my mind about whatever's going on. The last one we did was uh, kind of a uh, of-the-year podcast, the, the models that I think are arguably the most important 
and then the one that I think deserves an award, even though it will never, ever, ever get one. Uh, that was a lot of fun to record. Anyway, guys, um, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Uh, it looks like temperatures are a little warm here in Michigan right now, but typically when that happens, that means snow's coming. So make sure that if you haven't swapped out your snow tires, you do so pretty soon. Make sure you check your tire pressures as often as possible. You don't want to have a low inflation tire that doesn't get the grip it needs to get down the street. And I had one other thing. Oh, man, wash your car this time of year. I washed my car the other day. Uh, it felt great, number one. Number two, made my car look a lot better. And number three, it prevents rust. Uh, I've already got a little bit of bubbling starting on my rear tailgate. I'm not happy about it. Uh, so make sure you're keeping your car clean this time of year. But with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a lovely weekend. And we'll see you sometime early next week here on the Salvage Title Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.